Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. As we close out this last year, this year, 2023, I'd like us as a group to say something out loud together. And I know that can be kind of weird and a little bit awkward at times, but I want you to join me in saying something out loud so I'll coach us through it. But will you do something with me? Will you say this with me? God has been faithful in 2023. And then say this with me. God will be faithful in 2024. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Blab it and grab it. Confess it and possess it. Name it and claim it. It's true. That's just how God is. He's faithful in every season and in every situation. Past, present, future, today, tomorrow, he's always faithful. That's his character, and that's what we're going to look at today. Even if it's been a hard year personally for some of you, you can boldly declare that God's been faithful. The Dictionary of Bible Themes defines the faithfulness of God this way. If you're looking for a definition, this really gives a beautiful definition. The faithfulness of God is God's perfect loyalty and consistency in being true to his name his character, and his word. God has been loyal, consistent, and true to his name, his character, and his word. You can count on it. We can count on him, though we cannot count on the world that we live in. We cannot count on people, even the people we love the most. They don't always come through. People fall. People fail. People make mistakes. People miss the mark. God is always faithful. That's just who he is, amen? He's been faithful this last year. He'll be faithful this coming year. And his faithfulness is rooted in his covenantal love for his children. And it's a bedrock in our lives. If you've walked with Christ for any period of time, you know, especially if you've walked with him for years, you understand something. That when the world is shaking, when circumstances around us are shaking, when you're experiencing a tragedy or a loss or we're looking at a society that seems like it's going nuts, if you don't have something underneath as a foundation, you'll be shaken. You'll be moved to the left and to the right. But if you understand that God's loyal, He's consistent, He's true, He's not a man that He should lie, He's a truth teller, He's not a liar. And when you really embrace that and understand that, you can walk through any storm because your life is rooted and grounded in this reality that God is faithful and loyal and He keeps His word. Amen. Amen. He's a covenant, promise-keeping God. So what I'm going to do is just walk us through some qualities and some ideas about God and His faithfulness and talk about His faithfulness. So the first thing, if you're a note-taker, is this. God is identified in Scripture as the faithful God. He's identified in Scripture as the faithful God. It's His very character. Look at this. Deuteronomy 7.9 says this. Know that the Lord your God is God. First of all, that's a good start, isn't it? Know that the Lord your God, take it and make it personal, the Lord my God is God. How many of you know there's a lot of gods out there? small g. 
But there's only one God who's a capital G. The God, the true God, the only God, the wise God, the pure and holy God. So know that the Lord your God is God. And look what it says here. The faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. So let me just make a point here. The word thousand is used many times in Scripture. One Scripture says God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, right? And now we see here that God keeps His covenant loyalty for a thousand generations. What's the point? Is the point that at 1,001 generations, God quits being loyal? No. It's, it's hyperbole. It's exaggerative language to make a point. It doesn't matter how many generations pass. God is faithful and covenantally loyal to every generation. Amen? That was a good place for an amen. See, God's very nature is faithfulness. He is a covenant-keeping God who doesn't lie. He fulfills what He says He'll do. It's contrary to His being to not do what He said He would do. It's contrary to Him. He can't lie. Do you understand that it is, it's impossible for God to lie? It's impossible for God to tell a white lie. It's impossible for God to get even a little bit off of His integrity. He is faithful and true in every generation. Secondly, God's faithfulness is central to His glory and His character. Look at Exodus 34, and this is God speaking to Moses, verses 5 through 7. It says this, The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there, and proclaimed his name. The Lord, this is the Hebrew word Yahweh. So God came to Moses, and he's making himself known. And this is a, a beautiful text of Scripture. This is where Moses had asked God, God, show me your glory. If you're with me, go with us as we go into the promised land. But more than that, I want to see your glory. And what is the glory of God? The glory of God is God outshining his attributes, his character, his personality. What's God like? Well, many times God's qualities are hidden. But when God shows us his glory, he unveils himself to us and he reveals those hidden qualities about himself that make him uniquely God. The thing that makes him God and no one else is like him. He is transcendent. He's above, beyond outside of even human experience and existence, and yet he's imminent and near, and he comes close to us. This God, who many times veils himself, unveils himself to Moses, and when he does, he starts with declaring his name, and his name is Yahweh, the revealed, self-existent God, the God who is full and complete in himself, who has no source outside of himself, who needs no one, who needs nothing, who draws nothing from anything other than for his own joy and pleasure, this God is now revealing himself to people. And as he reveals himself to people, he declares things about himself. And he says, the Lord, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate. Look at this. This is beautiful. The Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love 
to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But He will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Somebody said, ooh, oh man, what's, what's God saying about Himself here? Because it looks like He's contradicting Himself. On one hand, He says He's compassionate and gracious, and He forgives, and then it turns around and says He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. What's it saying? Those who bring their guilt, their sin, their rebellion under His forgiveness, those who turn to Him and forsake the way of evil will be embraced by Him and He'll be faithful to a thousand generations. But those who continue in their rebellion, continue to reject His Word, continue to walk away from Him and do evil in spite of warnings, there will come problems upon them. And listen, it's not, it's not just God like actively like, okay, gotcha, and got your children and your grandchildren. It's God taking his hand back and allowing the normal consequences of evil to be carried out, to move out. Are you still with me? He won't leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren of the third and fourth generation. So what do we see here? We see here that God's name denotes his nature and his character. And his name, Yahweh, is described as faithful. Covenant keeping is who he is and what he does. Faithfulness is necessary to be a covenant keeper. What is a covenant? When God wanted to connect with humanity, he established covenants. Covenants go all the way back to Genesis. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve. Later, he made a covenant with Noah. Then he made a covenant with Abraham. And we see this all through Scripture. He made a covenant with David. And in Jesus Christ, he made a covenant with you and me. And what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement where a greater makes an agreement of faithful, loyal love and provision and care to a lesser. So God said, I'm going to fix the problem with the human race. I'm going to fix the problem on planet Earth. And the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to make an agreement with you and I'm going to be loyal to that agreement. Even though we're disloyal, even though we do our own thing and we go our own way, God's loyal, covenant-keeping love pursues, chases, doesn't give up, keeps telling the truth. When we lie, He stays true. That's God's covenantal love. That's God's faithfulness. Amen. Number three, God's faithfulness is foundational to his love and mercy. Look at Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23. And before I read it, let me give you some background. A lamentation is a song that is sung in the midst of lamenting loss and death and grief and mourning. Lamentations was written by a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes lamentation and sing these, sings these songs over the city of Jerusalem as he watches Jerusalem be sacked by the foreign army of Babylon. Babylon has breached the walls, torn them down, and their armies have come into the city and they're slaughtering people everywhere. 
There's death and destruction and pain. And he's a prophet and he's been warning them for generations. He's been warning them for like 40 years. He's been crying out to them, turn from your sin, turn from your evil, turn back to Yahweh. Even now, if you'll turn away from the way you've been going, God will spare you. But if not, he will remove his protection and your enemies will come in and sack the land. And they did. And so Jeremiah is now wandering around the city and he's weeping. He speaks of himself like he's crying continually and he's singing these songs of, of lament. And in the midst of that circumstance, as he's weeping about what's happened to the city, he pens one of the most beautiful promises of Scripture that we see anywhere. And people quote this text all the time. It's really interesting when you quote this text in the context, when you understand what was going on. Look at it with me, verse 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Is anybody alive out there? Think about this. God's faithful love is the foundation for His mercy. It's the foundation for His goodness, His kindness. He's faithful. He's loyal. We can count on Him. He's going to hold to his side of the deal, his part of the bargain. He's going to be faithful to it. Faithful love and mercy always go together. Jeremiah declared this about God, even though the city was being destroyed and people were slaughtered right in front of him. In, even amid pain and loss, he could declare the faithfulness and the mercy of God. How many of you know there's something about faithfulness that's so powerful? Right? When you see it demonstrated in people, it rocks your world. I mean, I love this story by a man named Van Morris. Listen to it. He said, in October of 2011, Gordon Yeager, 94, and his wife Norma died exactly one hour apart from each other after 72 years of marriage. They were holding hands when they died. The couple left their home in Marshallton, Iowa, to run some errands in town but they never made it. A car accident sent the couple to the emergency room with broken bones and other injuries. When they were transferred to intensive care, the nurses knew, not, the nurses knew to not separate them. But even in the hospital, they were more concerned about each other than themselves. Their son, Dennis Yeager, said this, she was saying that her chest hurt, but what's wrong with dad? Even laying there like that, she was more worried about dad. And his back was hurting and he was in pain, but he was asking about mom. When it became clear that their conditions were not improving, the nurses moved them into a room together in beds side by side so they could hold hands. Gordon died at 3.38 p.m., holding hands with his wife as the family they built surrounded them. Their son, Dennis, said this. It was really strange. They were holding hands and dad stopped breathing, but I couldn't figure out what was going on because the heart monitor was still going. Think about that. But we were like, he isn't breathing. How does he still have a heartbeat? The nurse checked and said, that's because they were holding hands and her heartbeat was going through them. Her heart was beating through him and it was being picked up on the monitor. At 4.38, exactly one hour after Gordon died, Norma passed away too, exactly one hour. 
Dennis Yeager said this, they just loved being together. They were old-fashioned. They believed in marriage till death do us part. Dennis also added, I don't believe there was a big secret to their marriage. Sometimes one or the other would get mad at the other, but they worked everything out. In the end, listen carefully, in the end, they chose each other. And that was it. They were committed. What is faithfulness? What is faithful love? Faithfulness and faithful love is when you love someone even when you don't feel love for someone. See, we live in a society that's got it backwards. Our society says if you feel romantic feelings, if you feel love toward a person, then you'll choose to treat them in a loving way. And so when you quit feeling that, you quit choosing to love. Our heads are so chock full of romance novels and, sorry, Hallmark movies and all kinds of other stuff out there that we have let those things define to us what love is. And for us, love is a fancy, love is a feeling, love is something that happens when you get butterflies in your tummy. And when you quit having that and when you quit having chemistry and attraction and you quit feeling that love, you begin to conclude societally that you're falling out of love with someone. Almost like you fell into a ditch. Now you're going to fall out of it. And that's how we treat love. But biblically speaking, with the, with the picture of Jesus, love is chosen and feelings follow. Love is chosen. Yes, God provides the spark of chemistry. He provides the spark of romance. That's what brings people together. That's what causes them to make babies. That's what causes them to have families. But if you don't have something more than that, when it gets rough and you start to struggle, when you're mad at each other and you quit having feelings of love, our society will say, oh, it just means it's over. It's time to move on. Because the most important thing to you is your happiness. That is the mantra. That is the chant of the self-cult in America. The self-cult is, it's all about your personal happiness. And if you're not feeling happy, get out. That is a lie. There have been many times throughout the course of my marriage I haven't felt happy. As Billy Graham's wife said when she asked, have you ever wanted to divorce Billy? She said, divorce never, murder yes. Yes, there have been times I think these hands would fit perfectly around that neck. Just kidding, I haven't felt that. But you, you get my point. The point is a simple one, actually. The reality is, is that when we choose to love and then we act like we love, we begin to feel love. This is loyal love, and God's like this with us all the time. You think God just sits back and, you know, our, our society says, they're so, we're so mixed up. Yeah. I mean, I hear people say, well, God, it's, God just loves us with unconditional love. Absolutely. Let me, let me tell you about unconditional love. I love you and I'm loyal to you, but I'm not going to let you keep doing that. Yeah. See, we believe love means we can do whatever we want and God understands and it's all cool, baby, because he just loves us. And that is exactly the opposite of what Scripture teaches. God's love is unchanging. But you know what else the Scripture says? He disciplines every son and every daughter whom He loves. That's called woodshed time. 
And if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you know there are times he will take you to the woodshed. And the scripture indicates that's the greatest evidence of his love toward us. He actually loves us, so he doesn't let us get away with stuff. He says, no, you can't keep living that way. You can't keep doing that way. I'm going to actually make some things hard in your life until you stop it. I'm not okay with that because it not only destroys your relationships and it not only grieves me, but it's messing you up too. That thing inside of you is not okay. So I love you so much, I'm going to arrange circumstances in your life that are going to be painful in order to get you to stop doing what you're doing. That is loyal covenantal love. It's real. Oh, Some of you are like, I liked this message up until that point. My next point, this is a perfect segue into this next point because it's really a beautiful truth. And that is God is faithful and he will complete us. He's faithful and he will complete us. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Beautiful text of scripture. Look what it says. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. I'll define that in just a moment. And may your whole spirit, that's the part of you that has God dwelling in it if you're a believer in Christ, your soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, and body. You know what that is? Be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That gives me a lot of hope. I mean, think about it. God is making you and I holy and blameless, and we can be sure it will happen. When he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you, what does that mean? Sanctification is a Christian doctrine, a Christian theology, a Christian reality. When you first come to faith in Christ and you believe in Him, that's called justification and regeneration. Regeneration is the Spirit comes inside of you, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and brings a regenesis of the life of God within you. And now you're alive spiritually to God and you're aware of Him and you're aware of sin and you're aware of beauty and you're aware of holiness and that happens inside of you. You're also justified and justified means God declares you right with His Father. God declares you right because of the Son, because of Jesus' sacrifice. You're declared right and in right standing, and it's nothing you can do. He did it for you. That's justification. Sanctification is the working out of justification. It's the working out of that state. I now stand holy before God in His sight, but He doesn't just want me to look holy in His own sight. He wants me to become holy. And so God then, over the process of your life, works His character and His nature into you, and He's conforming and He's shaping you, and He's using circumstances and relationships and worship and the word and prayer and all of these different things to form you and shape you and move stuff out of your life and clean you and wash you and make you like his son, Jesus. Jesus is the pattern son. You see, we've wrongly believed in our form of Christianity that the whole thing is just get you to heaven when you die. People are like, believe in Jesus so you can go to heaven when you die. I'm like, most people I know, they want to know how to live now. They want to know how to be able to live the rest of this life on planet Earth where they have their feet. They know where they're going to go when they die. That is salvation. We can be secure in that. But I'm telling you, it's a lot harder learning how to live day by day. And the day by day is the sanctification. 
It's the work of the Spirit and Word together through people and all these circumstances I mentioned a moment ago to conform you to the image of the Son. That's where God's going. And where I grab such great hope is that He's going to do that in us. I mean, think about it. We're going to be everything we want to be and more. You think you know the person that you want to be, but God has a much clearer picture of what you're to look like when he's done with you, right? We're going to become like Jesus, and we're going to be all God desires us to be. All the areas of our lives that discourage us will be overcome by God's work within us. He's going to make us holy. He's going to make us blameless like Jesus. When we stand before the Lord at the end, we're going to be holy and blameless in his sight. We are now positionally, in Christ, we are holy and blameless, but we are becoming in actuality, in our life, we are becoming like Jesus Christ for the rest of time. And that's a beautiful thing, because I'm going to tell you what, that's humanity as we were designed to be. Holiness isn't some kind of weird, I'm better than you, I'm holier than thou, I don't, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that. It's, it's not something that's defined by all the don'ts. It's something that's defined by becoming like someone. And it's actually what you're yearning for, what I'm yearning for. It's what we've wanted our whole lives. You know it when you get around it. Have you ever been around a saint? Look around. Those are saints around you. Did you know that? When the writers of the New Testament wrote letters to the churches in all those places, they wrote to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Colossae, to the saints in Philippi. Who are those saints? The people. But have you ever been around someone that's a saint in actuality? And you know what I mean. When you get around them, there's a quality about their life. There's a presence of God in their life. There's a a kindness about them. There's something about they, they. There's something about them that makes you want to get near them. And you enjoy their presence. And you find you you go away from those encounters with people like that, and you think, I want to be like that. And sometimes you can't even totally quantify it. You just know you've been around. You you've never thought of it before. You've been around someone that's holy. And and that's what God wants to do in us. And he said right here, look at the text. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So the very basis of us becoming all that God wants us to be is his faithful love. He started it, he'll finish it. He's the author and the finisher. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the first and the last. He doesn't start any project and leave it unfinished. Okay, just saying. Number five, God is faithful even when we are faithless. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. Ooh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Even if we have moments or seasons of faithlessness, God will remain faithful to us in everything. You ever go through doubts? Anybody in here besides me ever experienced doubt? 
and the rest of you are liars, so that's a sin too, right? We have doubts. Some people are like, how do you just believe so solidly? Well, behind the scenes, I don't always. And sometimes I've felt like God's taken a trip and he didn't include me in it. I feel like he moved to a different part of the solar system. You know, there are people in the Bible who went through dark, dark times. People all through history, there was a man named St. John of the Cross. He wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. In that book, The Dark Night of the Soul, he defined this idea of going through a season not because of your sin, not because you've done anything wrong, not because God's mad at you, actually because God loves you, but these seasons in our life when we lose awareness of God's presence, we lose awareness of His nearness. And it feels like he's not listening to us pray anymore. And we read the Bible and we're not meeting him in it. And he seems so distant and so far away. And we've repented and we've pented and repented of everything we know. We've tried everything we can to get close to him. We've fasted, we've prayed, we've read scripture, we've gone to church, we've done worship service. Nothing is doing it for us. And we begin to think, maybe God's left me. Maybe God's forsaken me. Maybe I've done something. Maybe I've done the unpardonable sin. You ever had those thoughts go through your mind? And actually, what it is, is it's God deepening you. You're like a tree in the winter. There's nothing on your branches. You're stripped. But deep inside, suffering and an awareness of God being distant is causing your roots to reach. You're reaching for Him. You're looking for water. You're stretching here. You're stretching there. You're trying to get the source of life everywhere. And as you reach for Him, you're deepening your foundation. You're spreading out your foundation so that in the next season of fruitfulness, you bear more than you ever have before. But at the moment, it's terrible. At the moment, it seems like God left you. But I want to tell you, he is faithful. His faithful love will never leave you. He will never leave nor forsake you. That's his character and his nature. Number six, Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house, which we are. I, I shared in the first service, I wasn't going to share this point. I prepared my sermon and I was going to edit it out. And I felt challenged by the Lord. No, talk about my faithfulness over the church my faithfulness over the church corporate. So Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house and that's what we are. How many of you in here are Christians? You're followers of Jesus Christ. Put your hand on your chest right now and say, I'm part of the house of God. I'm part of the house of God. You know, there's a movement going on even in our country right now of people uh, that sociologists are calling the Duns, D-O-N-E. S, posture yes, the Duns. The Duns are those who've got fed up with organized Christianity, organized religion, and they've left. They're done. They're done with the church. And in many surveys and interviews that are done and polling that's done and the data, they say things like, I'm tired of the church. It's hurt me or it's frustrating me or I'm not, it's, I'm not connecting anymore. I'm going to do it on my own now because I don't have to go to church to know Jesus. They'll say stuff like that. I don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And while there is an element of truth to that, because really your own relationship with Christ is what's most important, well, kind of, because actually what the Scripture teaches is that the church isn't man-made. The church is Jesus-made. I'll show you in a minute. 
Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Now, I just want to stop and say, churches have really messed it up. Church leaders have messed it up. There's been sexual immorality, unethical behavior, financial mismanagement. Christian leaders have failed big time. Terrible things within the Catholic Church, terrible things within the Protestant Church. Terrible things with evangelicals, the history of Christianity and organized religion has lots of pain connected to it, lots of failure connected to it. It's also been the greatest force for good on planet earth. Did you know that all universities started out of Christianity, out of the church? You didn't know that, did you? All the Ivy League schools in America all started as ministry training schools. Did you know the concept of hospitals came from the church? Caring for the orphan and the widow. The greatest works done in our nation that nobody talks about, they're behind the scenes and they won't be carried on Fox or CNN, are what churches are doing. Do you know that any, in any given community, there are literally thousands of man hours of free counseling, free help, financial help? All, all, just, you can't, if we began to assess value and connect what local churches did in any given community, the free public services offered through churches would, would blow us out of the water. It would astound us millions of dollars worth of ministry to people. Right? So here's the thing. Jesus has ordained all of us to be changed into the image of the Son. And we can't do it alone. So what is a church? A church ultimately isn't a place where you come listen to somebody talk like you are with me. A church is a community of people who begin to connect side by side, elbow to elbow in the mission of God on planet earth, and they begin to see their city, they begin to see their community as a place that needs the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. My hands, my feet, my mouth to speak, my love, my service, my care, and as we do that and we connect elbow to elbow and hand to hand and we go out there into our world, the faithfulness of God is seen through the church to people. So we need each other. We desperately need each other. And Jesus is Lord of his house. Look at this text with me. I got way outside of my notes here. So look at Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. Notice that, holy brothers and sisters. That's you. Who share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. You know, the writer of Hebrews is really good at this in another place. He says, looking unto Jesus. Consider Jesus. Stop and look at Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. A minute ago it said Jesus is the builder. Now it says the one who built everything is God. Well, Jesus is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Amen. The house of God is his church and he'll be faithful to care for his house and fulfill all his good promises to us. God has plans for us as a church. Do you believe that? 
2024, God's going to do some cool stuff. I hope somehow he opens doors and makes a way and we can begin to build a new building on the property that we have. You might not know this, we have 15 acres of land on Division Street. It's all paid off and we want to build a new facility there and and we want to use it for the community. We want to bless Moses Lake. Maybe this will be the year that will turn. I don't know, but maybe it will be. Let's pray into that. Let's ask God to do that. Amen? Amen? But he has plans for us. More importantly, people. He wants to reach people, make disciples, help people, serve people, love people, schools, people in our community, people that are battling with marital issues or addiction issues, whatever it may be, God has given us hands and feet and a mouth to speak to touch our city and to love people. Amen? And you know, he's been faithful to the universal church for 2,000 years. There are all these people through all time who he's been faithful to. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus said, I'll build my church, and he's still building. That's quite a project. Amen. The gates of hell won't prevail. My last point here is Jesus will conquer evil because he's faithful and true. Revelation 19.11, look at this. Then I saw heaven opened. This is right toward the end. Then I saw heaven opened and there was a white horse. Its rider is called faithful and true. And with justice, he judges and makes war. Wow. Wow. You know, Jesus will destroy evil and satanic power at the end because he's faithful and true. Why is he going to deal with evil? Because his name is faithful and true. He's going to follow through because he's faithful and true. He's going to do what he said he would do because he's faithful and true. You can count on him. You can lean on him. You can lean into him. You can trust him. He's the son of the most high God and he's faithful and true and that's his name and he's going to wage war on the evil in your life. He's going to destroy the evil and the strife. He's going to do the work. You watch and see. Jesus Christ is going to grant great victory in this next year. Amen? He's going to do it. It's true. He's faithful and true. That's his nature. That's his character. He's the one who will execute perfect justice and abolish evil once and for all because of his nature as the faithful and true one. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. 